Hey everybody, this is Paul Brandt. This is Wayne Peters. This is uh, Sean Baker. I'm Megan Murphy. This is Jess Moskaluk. I'm Rupa Subramania. This is Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Thursday. Uh, I, you know, I <laughs> I think it was only a couple of weeks ago. I was like, yeah, by the way, we're not going to be doing Thursday episodes for the first, not the foreseeable future, but for, you know, upcoming times, you know, we're going to ease back off. And then what do I do like a week later, week, two weeks later? Well, you get Terry Clark uh, happens to flop into your lap and you're like, well, we're going to, we're going to kick it out on a Thursday. It's a nice, short, sweet one. Um, she's coming to town here to be, uh, play live at the Vic Juba on November 28th. Uh, you can get tickets um, um, over at the Vic Juba and I'll, I'll place a link in the show notes that way if you're so inclined you can uh either way if you're liking what you're hearing you're enjoying the podcast please uh, feel free to share along and 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 uh leave a review maybe uh like and share hey that's man you do what you gotta do appreciate you all uh hanging with me on a thursday and uh i hope wherever you're at you're you're smiling the sun is shining and uh, hopefully I hate to sound too optimistic, but hopefully this plus weather continues. I mean, I'm all for minus 30. I mean, I've been joking. I'm like, just get to minus 30 already. Go to minus 30. We can get rid of all this BS of up, down, up, down, up, down. But then you get like four days of like plus three, and you're kind of like, I mean, you know, if it wants to sit here, it can. Hey, what do do I know? Either way, let's get on to the tale of the tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. Uh, For the past 80 years, They've been a leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, methanol and chemicals delivering to your farm, commercial or oil field locations. For more information, visit them at HancockPetroleum.ca. She's sold over 5 million albums. She's a three-time Juno Award winner, a 19-time CCMA Award winner, and in 2018 she was inducted into the Canadian Country Music Hall of Fame. I'm talking about Terry Clark. So buckle up. Here we go. This is Terry Clark, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today, I am joined by Miss Terry Clark. So first off, thanks for hopping on. Hey, thanks for having me, Sean. How are you doing today? I can't complain. I tell you what, it's uh, it's beautiful here in Lloydminster, plus three. Where Whereabouts is Terry today? <laughs> I'm in Winterpeg today, actually. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, uh, yeah, we came in from the U.S. and um, this is the first snow that I've seen so far this year. So uh, we're we're on a day off in Winnipeg, headed towards Moose Jaw for our first show there on on Thursday. So I feel home. I feel like I'm home. Well, I tell you what, uh, uh, you come back to the north, you land in Winnipeg. Not only are they nursing their their wounds from last night's loss in the in the Grey Cup, but uh, of course you got all <laughs> the snow to deal with and everything else. Yes, we want to rub it in. I am born and raised in Saskatchewan, and if I'm going to see a team lose in the finals, it might as well be the Bombers. Oh, see, there you go. Now, I, I'm not. I, I can't disagree or agree because I'm playing in both provinces. So I, you know, I don't <laughs> want anybody to throw eggs at me on stage. <laughs> I don't think a little bit of fun uh, goes a long way. You know, um, I, I'm uh, my background, Terry. You know, uh, I wish uh, it's funny today. You know, on this side of podcasting, I always do it. Uh, you know, usually I get somebody in studio, or it's always you know video. So I got you yeah, via phone, and I always ch- I chuckle because I've had two phone calls today. This is so. I, I almost feel uncomfortable because I can't see your face and how you're reacting. Either way, it doesn't matter. Um, one of the things I love doing with the podcast, and I and I know we don't have all the time in the world, but I love hearing how people got their start. I know you're an Alberta girl, medicine hat. 
Um, but I'm curious, how do you go from um, small town Alberta to Nashville? Uh, and please, as long or as short as you want to go, I'm just curious on the start of it, your your career and how you, how you go from, you know, there to, to here. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for allowing me to do this via phone because then I didn't have to put any pants on. So I, <laughs> I didn't have to put that, any didn't. pants on either. So oh, see the, the pantless podcast. I like that. that, that that's um, got a nice ring to it, too. <laughs> to answer your question, I, I just became obsessed with country music when I was living in Medicine Hat. Um, my mom and I moved there when my, she remarried my stepfather and he owned a house there. And we, uh, my sister and myself and my mom, he moved us all to Medicine Hat. And I want to say the year was 1981. And, um, you know, it, shortly thereafter, I started to become really obsessed with country music. Reba McIntyre, the Judds, Ricky Skaggs. I started to play in some local local bands that were, you know, playing at the Legion and local events and, and such and on some local TV shows. And they, they kind of took me under their wing. These local bands really believed in my talent and I started getting better and better and, you know, uh, learning more on the guitar and started to write my little songs and uh, just, you know, kind of immerse myself in the local music community there in, in, in Medicine Hat. And I won a few talent contests at a local level. And then I went on to some, some regional and some provincial and wound up at the Dick Dameron Brooks Cattle Country Jam uh, Provincial Talent Contest that uh, eventually led me to the CCMA-sponsored contest that took place. So I made it to the National uh, Country Music Talent Show, basically, and and uh, ended up I ended up losing that. I didn't even place in that one because I, what I didn't realize that they, I found out ten years later that I didn't place in that National CCMA-sponsored event because it was also sponsored by Budweiser and I was underage so they could they disqualified me uh, when they found out I was only 17 so uh, that was a bit of a heartbreak at the time it happened but I didn't really find out till 10 years later at the CCMA awards Tom Tompkins came up to me and he said I have to I have to tell you something he said I don't think you realize what happened that night but you got disqualified that's you you won the the contest technically but we had to disqualify you I said, they didn't I tell said, you well, they, I, they didn't no. tell you that that night no nobody told me that night because <sighs> i think i think they were kind of a, they i slipped under the radar i don't think they realized that they that i got that far and and probably shouldn't i i wasn't supposed to um so i didn't find out till 10 years later but that night, my mom and I were so heartbroken that I had lost when people were placing bets backstage I was going to win, and, and, and we just couldn't figure out what was going on. And she said, I'm going to take you to Nashville when you graduate from high school. So Your, your mom um, said this. Yeah, she said, we're going to Nashville. We're just, we're just going. It, it's going to take longer. It's going to be harder. There's going to be a lot of competition. It's going to be really difficult. Um, I mean, I didn't even have a green card at the time. I, I You know, we just on a wing and a prayer and a lot of faith and a little naivety. We went to, she took me to Nashville. She stayed for about a week. I found a place to live. I got some cash paying jobs and I wound up singing for tips at Tootsie's Orchid Lounge for cash, $15 a day, took the city bus downtown every day to, to my shift to play at Tootsie's. And that's, that was kind of the start of it. And I, I spent eight years trying to get a record deal and um, you know, eventually I, I, I wound up getting married and, you know, we, I, I was waiting tables and 
uh, tanning bar and selling cowboy boots and hats and Western apparel and anything that I could do. Um, and then I got a publishing deal writing songs with Sony tree in 1993 and wound up on Mercury records in 1994 and 1995, my debut album came out, but it was a long way from, uh, it was a long way from the Dick Dameron cattle country jamboree in Brooks, Alberta to that moment. I'll tell you, there was a lot of in between time. No kidding. I think, you know, one of the things I love, uh, <clears throat> talk to a lot of different, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a hockey player by trade and I know my audience hates hearing this, but I, I've stumbled my way into some interviews with some country music legends. And I certainly put you in that, uh, that uh, category, but I got to sit and talk with Paul Brandt multiple times and his journey. And, and, you know, you think everything is just like you flicked a switch and you were there, but you know, like listening to eight years of basically doing whatever you had to do, and and then you know one day it's just like boom and here it is. Did I hear correctly? You said fifteen dollars a day. Is that your performance yeah. rate for for Tootsie? Mm-hmm. It was Thinking yeah fifteen dollars. Yeah, and this this is back in nineteen eighty seven eighty eight and Lower Broadway in Nashville, which has now become like it's it's like Mardi Gras now down there. It's bachelorette parties and pedal taverns and everything's neon and. Uh, you know, it, it's a whole different vibe than it was then. Back then, half the street was shut down. It was boarded up. There were peep shows and and pawn shops and and you know nobody went down there. It was a, a very forgotten area of Nashville at the time, and um, there was a lot of seedy stuff going on. And and I think once the hockey arena came along, and then things just the convention center and everything started to turn around like in the early, early to mid nineties downtown. And it's just now it's a whole different scene. And I think I, I know of people just, there are people that are side musicians that'll go down to lower Broadway and make more money down there in one night than they could make out playing for a national act. And that's the truth because it's just so much going on down there. But at the time it was just, it was not that. And I played the 10 AM to 2 PM shift. So I was there at 10 in the morning till two in the afternoon because it was too dangerous to be down there at night. Um, and uh, you know, it, it was just, it was a very character building experience. Let me say that, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. Character building is a good way to put it. You know, when I'm curious in those eight years, did you have a few moments where you went, what the hell am I doing? And did you ever think of packing up or you, you just had a, a belief that it was going to work out at some point you were going to catch your big break. Oh, a little bit of both. Um, I would go back and forth a lot between really believing that it was going to happen and just thinking, I can't, I can't just, you know, I can't live on $95 a week forever, you know, or, or whatever it was I was making 90. I would, I would, I would play there three, three days a week and average anywhere between $17 and $30 a day or 35 on a good day because it just, there just weren't, there wasn't the traffic that there is now. Every once in a while, like one of those those buses with with people, like a bunch of old people on a tour, <laughs> <laughs> one of those bus tours, they would all file in. <laughs> You're just foaming at the mouth. I'm like Shady Acres rest <laughs> home is filing through the front door and I'm sitting up there going, oh, my God. And, you know, it was just it was that that was the that was kind of the, the vibe down there, especially during the day when I was playing. So. Um, I did. I, I often, you know, my mom talked me out of it. I'd, I'd call her collect and I'd be like, what am I doing? And I was homesick and, you know, medicine hat 
is a long way from Nashville. And to be there alone without anybody and be 18 years old and from the prairies and, and be in, in, in a southern city, culture was very different. There was so much that was very different. The climate, oh my God, I was melting all the time. It was just like... <laughs> I was like, this isn't summer. This is like hell. This is like, <laughs> I'm burning. Um, so there was a lot of get, a lot of adjusting and a lot of things to get used to when I moved down there. Um, wasn't like I could go home for Sunday dinner. So I'd call my mom collect and be like, am I making, am I making a mistake by being here? And I miss my, I miss everybody. And she said, Terry, you don't want to look up at 50 years old and wonder what would have happened had you really given this a shot. And she was right. And I'm so glad she talked me out of, you know, leaving. It, um, I, I, when you tell your story, uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Outliers, comes to mind because I want to say in that book, there's a story of the Beatles playing, uh, I forget what it is, 12 hours a day or something silly like that, where they kind of fine tuned their craft. When you're playing for, you know, $15 a day, $18 a day, that type of thing, did you, did though, I assume those days, those eight years, really fine tuned who Terry Clark really was? Oh, definitely. You know, and not just that, but just being immersed in, in Tennessee and the lifestyle and being going to bluegrass jams and playing music with bluegrass pickers and um, befriending other musicians and, and having people throw requests at me and having to kind of riff and, and, and play through songs I barely knew. And um, just, and the repertoire that you have when you're, when you're playing, and I played solo. It was just me and my guitar. And that honed my guitar playing skills too. And just, you know, the, the song list that you've got to have, all the covers you've got, and all the Patsy Cline and all the Loretta Lynn and all the Judds and all the Reba and all the Janie Fricky and all the Roseanne Cash and all of the stuff that was Randy Travis, the stuff that was just so popular at the time. Um, you know, I, I, I play the same 15 songs every night now or 20 songs, you know, because they're my hits. That's what people want to hear. But when I think of my versatility when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I wasn't just playing my 15 or 20 songs. I was playing everybody else's too. You know, so when, that was a <laughs> real formative time. No kidding. When, I mean, uh, you want to talk about being flexible. Yeah. I mean, like, was there a song that you got requested? Like, did you ever just say, I, I don't know how to play that? Or that wasn't what you did. You're like, oh, yeah, sure. I can play that song and away you went. Well, I, I think it's kind of like when you go to a foreign country, as long as you make an effort to speak the language, <laughs> people appreciate it. <laughs> so I would make an effort to play the song. I'm pretty good at playing by ear. And, and I, uh, so I, I can, I can, I can, I can fake my way through something pretty good and make it sound like I know it. Um, as long as I have a lyric, uh, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any formal training. And it's interesting because you know, this Christmas tour that we're about to embark upon, my, my band is, they're all formally trained musicians. Uh, a couple of them have a master's in music and I, I'm, I'm, I, and I can't believe they work for me and they, they know more than I do. You know, I, I can listen to a record or a country record or a country song and you can say, well, uh, play a verse and a chorus of that song and I can probably do it. Um, because I'm self-taught, but I play by ear. So I'm just in awe of people that can, that can write down notes and play that theory and you write something on a paper. And that, that represents this thing you're doing on this instrument. The Beatles didn't read music either, not a note, nothing. 
So I, I just find it, I, I find it, but there, I find it amazing that people can just write down numbers and notes and know what to do with that. Yeah. Um, that, that is, uh, pretty cool. I gotta, I gotta be honest. And <clears throat> you're talking about your tour. Uh, you're at the Vic Juba here in Lloydminster on November 28th. So if people are looking to get tickets to see Terry here in the Lloydminster area, Vic Juba, uh, is where you're going to play, which is a great facility here in town. You know, I, <clears throat> I'm curious. I, I heard I listened to an interview of you where you talked you had this is a few years back this is before COVID and you said I haven't taken more than two weeks off since uh, your career started now I believe this was about now it's probably about five years ago you said that um, I was wondering how hard was COVID for Terry because if that's what your life was where all you did was go on the road and play shows and and get in front of people i know from a, a an extrovert extrovert sitting on this side who loves to sit across from somebody and talk and everything else how difficult uh, covid was on me uh, i'm curious for a a lady who goes around the countryside singing to different crowds here there everywhere um, how hard have uh, the last has the last stint been? And then I'm, the second question I'd tag into that is, where did you do your first show back? Oh my gosh! You know what my first show back was? Um, it was the the Can the um, Calgary Stampede Grandstand show. No kidding! That's what, that was the first yeah. uh, show back. That those were my first shows back. I played the Grandstand show. I think five days. Um, and I had to use Dallas Smith's band because mine couldn't get into the country yet. <laughs> so, uh, but COVID for me, it, I mean, I love people. I love to play. I love to entertain. But I am a bit of an extroverted introvert. I, I actually like, I, I'm fine by myself. I go out and eat by myself. I go shopping alone. I spend, I'm, I'm good being alone. I like my alone time too. But it, you know, it, it was interesting because I think all of us thought that it was going to be three or four months, you know, of this, this little thing that was going around was going to, but I, I had no, nobody had any idea we would be shut down for, well, it's been longer in Canada, but in the States, you know, it was, I went from March through the following March into July before I did a show. So Mar it remained June, July. That was 16 months i went 16 months without playing a show and I, I i'm not a fan of virtual shows i i just don't think they have that same energy exchange and conversation and well, it's, it's it's impossible there's it, it's no different than sitting here having a phone call with you i think the phone call is amazing don't get me wrong and i think it's pretty cool that technology allows us to do this but there's something yeah. about being in person the exchange of uh, body language, which is, you know, energy and everything else, being in the same room as people is electric. And as a guy who got to stand on stage uh, multiple times over the, the past eight, nine months, uh, being in front of people is wonderful. And uh, and having people enjoy your music, I'm sure there's no other feeling on the planet quite like that. It's amazing. And coming back after being off that long, which I will say, like, I, I really... I took the opportunity to just do nothing and just be a normal, just be cooking and be at home and, you know, and, and just, you know, be with my dogs and family and just, uh, you know, get off the hamster wheel for a minute. Cause it's been everything since 1995 has been about staying on the road and touring. And then in between touring tour dates, it's writing for another record and then releasing that record. And the minute that record comes out, you're writing for another one. And 
just constant right up until, you know, right up until uh, this happened pretty much. And then it, everything just stopped. And I just took, I just took it after, after I realized that I had to settle in, this wasn't going to be over anytime soon. I think it was just an acceptance, you know, and you know what, I'll be all right. Everything's going to be okay. And, uh, you know, and everything was okay. And now we're back and now we're having a great time. And there's, there was a bit of a, a reset button pressed. And I think, um, you know, a, a new fresh outlook on everything and, you know, a chance to recharge your batteries, even though it wasn't an intentional chance. And I think there's a deeper appreciation for it now than there was before. Well, I appreciate you giving me some time today. Before I let you out of here, we always finish with uh, the same question. Uh, well, I guess I should say it's been the same question here for several months, but uh, um, it's a crude master final question. It's Heath's words. He said, if you're going to stand behind something, then stand behind it. Absolutely. What's one thing Terry stands behind? Oh, my goodness. Truth. Be true to your word. Someone's word means everything to me. If you say something, do it. If you say you're going to do it, do it. One, uh, one uh, additional to that, uh, Terry, and I, I, I'm just curious. Have you played in? I'm, sh- I'm sure you've played this countryside ten times over. Have you played uh, in Lloyd before? And have you played in the Vic Juba before? You know, that's a really good question. Now you're asking me to go back over 27 <laughs> years of touring. <laughs> Come on, you remember all the feeling- places, don't you? Yeah, I have a feeling I have. I, I know I've played the Lloyd before, but I don't know about that particular venue. Maybe somebody out there listening can uh, can chime in and uh, who's seen the show there. But um, it, yeah, I, I'm not absolutely positive. I've been in that venue, but it sure sounds familiar, and I've heard wonderful things about it from everybody. Right on. Well, appreciate you giving me some time today, Terry. I tell you what, the next time I get you on the show, we're going to give you the full podcast experience and uh, and uh, maybe some some picture to go along with it so we can see one another. Heck, maybe we'll even try and stick you in the studio uh, if time ever permits while you're rolling through on your tour bus. Either way, uh, appreciate you giving me some time today and, and look forward to having you here in Lloydminster. I can't wait to see everybody. Thanks so much for taking the time, Sean.